Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. This is part one of a two-part series and probably the most important two episodes that I can do. It discusses my take on the podcast of Why Is This Happening with Chris Hayes, and it's the episode from February 4th, 2020, entitled The Frontlines of Addiction with Beth Macy. His interview podcast is a sociological view of the opioid crisis. Beth Macy has some interesting statistics that she covered while writing her book, Dope Sick. She also has some new astounding statistics about MAT, which stands for Medication-Assisted Treatment. This is one of the most intelligent interviews that matches in every way our family's experience with addiction and heroin. Hi, welcome back to Tales from the Jungle. I'm so excited about these next two episodes there. It's a part one and part two. Now, my podcast is all about our family's experience in living with addiction, but I couldn't go any further without showing the correlation between the interview Chris Hayes did with Beth Macy and how she is the first I've heard to put a face on the reality of our experiences and to quantify them in a scientific way. I stumbled across the Chris Hayes podcast by accident, and I think it could be a game changer. I mean, I'm just one person, but if other people catch on and really pay attention to uh, some of these statistics, it could help so many families. And I am just really hoping that this is one of the things that it does. This interview really takes a in-depth look at the opioid crisis and really addiction in general from a sociological point of view, showing how it got started, the misconceptions of society when it started, and then how it really escalated in such a quick way. One of the things she talks about is the transition from pills like Oxycontin to where it got too expensive for people to try and keep fulfilling those prescriptions when they would need larger and larger doses. And so then they would transition to heroin that they could buy on the street for a lot cheaper. I'm sure anyone dealing with addiction, many people have had this experience or at least know about it in their dealings with addiction and so on. Uh, one of the things that Beth talks about in that interview is MAT, which is medication-assisted treatment. The early days of MAT were methadone, where you'd have methadone clinics, and it would be given out to people on a regulated basis where they'd come in daily or every couple days. I'm not sure. I, I thought it was mainly daily to get their dose and keep them regulated and then so that they could be monitored and then transition off in a safe way. However, they found that the methadone was so highly addictive, it could be more addictive than heroin. And it was just as dangerous and just as difficult. And so it wasn't really solving the problem it was meant to solve. And what they now have is something called bupropion 
buprenorphine, which it, the actual, that's the clinical name. The, uh, name that the prescription comes under is normally Suboxone. And we had not heard of it when we were at a point where we didn't know what else to do. We had seen the same results over and over again. The, um, it was Casey who suggested that we research Suboxone and, and really find out about it because she felt like it was her only chance to get sober. And we were skeptical to say the least. But let me start back, um, by talking about the current best practice for getting sober is, is the traditional 12 steps. Um, go to a halfway house or a, um, rehab facility where they teach you teach the addict tools and skills for living uh, with getting sober and how to change their thinking and how to change their living habits and that kind of thing. They also usually have a family component where um, there's family counseling, there's individual counseling, counseling, and it's thought that that will really give someone tools in order to get sober and stay sober. It's not been as effective as they would like you to think. And in fact, they found that 92% of people who go through rehab relapse when they don't have anything else to help them. Uh, Medication-assisted treatment um, has been found to be so much more effective when it's done properly and when it's uh, the right medication. In fact, Beth Macy cited statistics that show a 60% success rate with medication-assisted treatment versus 8% with abstinence only. And abstinence only is what most of the rehab places insist on. Um, it also, there's also a stigma about using medication in order to get sober. And so that really plays into the mindset of an addict trying to figure out the best way for them to get sober and do it in the community. Um, when they go to 12 step meetings, they're given their, um, tags for one month, um, six months sober and all of that. And some people believe that you can't get one of those if you're on something like Suboxone because you're not truly um, off the drugs. And I think that that's a difficult place to come from because so many families are struggling and it's about the end result. It's not about who did it in the pristine way that would be best. So it ends up not being best because its success rate is so low. That was definitely our family's experience. Casey had gone to six or seven rehabs and even more halfway houses, and we were not sure what could be done. She would have success for varying amounts of time, and then every time it would uh, taper off, she would meet someone, she would... uh, then not be able to sustain the the sober living and go back right back to the addictive cycle and we could i could actually see it from the beginning when she would try and get sober because i could see that uh it'd be locked in her mind she'd be in this cyclical pattern of, of thinking about the drug constantly and and as i say i could see it in her eyes 
And it, the first time I saw a break in that pattern was when she took Suboxone. When she was at the point where we had gone through this so many times and, and we knew it was useless to go to one more rehab. She was close to death. She was, um, it was, she was at a point where we knew there was not much else left to try. She was the one who told us about Suboxone, as I mentioned. We did the research. We decided that it was worth the risk because there were not a lot of options. And as soon as she started taking it, I saw a difference. I saw her be able to really focus on her getting sober and not thinking about how do I not think about the elephant in the room? How do I not get uh, so uh, fixed on this idea of the drug and, and how do I stay off of it, which leads to an obsession of thinking about it. And so then she was able to actually really work and, and go go to a job and think about the job and think about the things that she needed to do. It, it wasn't easy. I mean, she still had to go through the maturing phase of, of starting from the time the age at which she started using drugs is the age in which her emotional maturity had stopped. And so she had to start from that maturity level and go forward and start figuring things out. And she's at an older age in her life where she's got more adult problems and it's harder at that younger emotional stage to be able to figure those things out. So it was, it was not easy, but it was one of the best ways that I can think of that could have helped her. Now, there are some things about Suboxone that are getting better from what I understand, but back when we did it, which was just a couple years ago, um, the state we were in, I could only find three doctor's offices in the county that would even prescribe it, and all three of those offices would only take cash. And she, in the beginning, she had to meet every week and then every other week, and then she was able to taper off to once a month. However, every single time, they didn't take insurance, they didn't take credit cards, it was cash only. And it felt funny just giving a doctor cash, but it also created this problem of how motivated is the doctor to get her to taper off the drug when she's ready. And one of the things this doctor did was he said that it was in her hands to decide when she was ready to start tapering off the drug. And that was my biggest concern about Suboxone is that as time went on, I started seeing her rely more and more on the drug and the fear of, of coming off of it and not getting the advice she needed from the doctor to say, now's the time, now you need to start coming off of it. She told me that he had one patient that he had told her about that had been on it for seven years with him. And that just is unacceptable to me. I don't think that that's appropriate. My experience was that after about four months, she should, should have started thinking about tapering her dose down somewhat and start thinking about coming off of it. Because it was after that 
point of time that it started to look like she was getting more and more reliant on the taking of the drug every day. And when I talked to her since then, after she's now been sober and off of Suboxone, she did say that um, she was afraid to come off of it because she was afraid what would happen if it didn't, if she couldn't maintain without the drug. As it happened, we had a huge blow up in our family. And at about six months point, uh, she ended up moving out, moving in with a boyfriend into a different state. So we just stopped paying for the Suboxone. She had no ability to pay for it on her own. She had to stop cold turkey. And she didn't believe that was the best way to do it. But she came off of it. And she has stayed sober and drug-free since then. And, and that's been over a year and a half. And that's been, it's been great. And she's not gone back to that uh obsession about drugs and things like that that she had before. So it really did what it was meant to do. But again, there's that issue of when and how to taper off and getting buy-in from uh, the person who's addicted to decide that that's what they want to do. One of the things that Beth Macy also talks about is staying in the community where you have resources. Now, in our situation at the time that oh, when Casey first got addicted, we didn't have a lot of resources. We couldn't find a lot of help with doctors and rehab facilities and so on. And the best judgment out there was to move them out of state away from bad influences in order to have a clean slate, have no one that they can turn to to keep buying drugs. So that's the way we did it that kept failing. When we finally had gotten to this point where we decided to try the Suboxone, we did bring her home. We brought her back to the home where she knew people and so on, but she didn't have a car. She didn't have a way around, and we were around her most of the time. But at the same time, she had our support, and when she moved out with that boyfriend, she also had a cat. She had the cat at our house and then took the cat with her. And between having support of us and then the boyfriend, I believe, was supportive in get her getting sober. And the cat was a huge uh, support for her. It gave her some uh, emotional stability that she could have something outside of herself to take care of and love and um, be a part of that really helped her. And so I can see Beth Macy's uh, opinion about staying in a community where there's a support system and um, that kind of thing being the way to go. As I said, in our instance, when it finally really has kicked in and really made a difference is with the Suboxone, with the support system. And we, even though there was a difficult time and we had that blow up, we have stayed in touch and remained a support system for Casey. And I think that's been important too. I think it's really important as much as a family gets hurt from things that addicts have done and all the ways that they have betrayed them, it's so important to be there and not try and fix them, but to be a support system, to listen to them and find out, is there something that's happening where 
they need something in order to keep staying on the path they need to be on, whether it's Suboxone, whether it's help with finding a job and not enabling in that way, but teaching them resources in how to find a job, teaching them resources in how to plan for their money. Um, all those kinds of things that I've talked about in the past, but I will continue to talk about because um, it's so hard to distinguish between that enabling and um, really being a support system for them. And it, it, many times uh, families who have um, people who are enabling have their their root families were um, dysfunctional. And so they didn't really grow up in a loving, functioning family that showed them how a proper support system is supposed to work. I, I know that's my my husband's and my um, situation. We didn't have the um, history in order to see what it looks like to have a, a good supportive family that um, can circle around and really be there. Although I think this happens to any kind of family. Um, it, it can um, strike anyone at any time. And while it's the decision of the addict to do that, there's a genetic component, there's a psychological component, and um, addiction starts for many reasons. And it, no matter how it starts, there's usually a psychological reason that it continues as well as the physiological part that keeps them addicted. And so all of that needs to be addressed. There really needs to be counseling with the, uh, cause almost most addicts that I know of are dual diagnosis where they have underlying psychological issues that really should be addressed at the same time. And there's not a cure-all pill like Suboxone or anything like that that's going to just magically cure them and make them realize, oh yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. Um, but there's um, ways that can they can be helped and things that can be done. And um, I'm going to continue this discussion next time. Um, I think this is so important. And I, I'm going to give more of an overview sociologically next time of um, how it's viewed from society. So uh, I'll talk to you soon. If you found this helpful, please leave a review to help others find it. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm located at Chelsea's Jungle. And if you want to leave comments or questions, that's the place to do it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater.